Today is Monday, April 17th, 2023, and you're listening to the Ask a Christian podcast. I'm your host, Nate. Today, let's talk about Ecclesiastes and Solomon's Funk. Um, all too often, people talk about uh, Ecclesiastes and they talk about, you know, Solomon's saying this, and, you know, they take his words as gospel as if this is God's instruction while not realizing he's in a deep spiritual desert and uh, they. The context is key, so you, you need to read the, everything in context. This should go without saying, but apparently it has to be said, so we'll say it. So we'll talk about that and then how it contrasts and compares to Corinthians, where Paul's talking about man's wisdom, which is what Solomon seems to have a lot of in spades, and then God's spiritual discernment, which trumps and supersedes that, and that is the path to go. So maybe if Solomon had this to do again, he would have asked God for great spiritual discernment and wisdom that comes from God more than just worldly, natural man's wisdom. Anyway, we'll talk about that for a little bit. Then we talk about the Trinity a little bit. And what's the easiest, concise way to explain it? Well, it's a pretty, pretty meaty topic. And, you know, because some questions can't be answered in like three seconds, people want to discount the argument and say, well, it should be simply more simply understood than that. Well, great. Um, you know, pick some other secular topic about spaceships or how to build rockets. Um, you could say, well, the easy answer is uh, build a rocket, put fuel in it, and make it fly. Great. That's the easy answer. It was quick. But now you have to say, well, okay, how does that actually work? How does that actually happen? It's going to take more than 10 seconds to explain all of that. Um, just like the Trinity, we're going to say, well, God is one. Uh, you know, Jesus is Jesus is the Son, not the Father, not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son, not the Father. The Spirit is God, the Spirit. The Father is the Father, is not the Son, is not Jesus. Um, is not the Son, is not the Spirit. So there's your answer. It's, it's quick. It's just different, a couple different ways of saying the exact same thing. So there are three persons, yet one God. Uh, co-equal, co-eternal, consubstantial. Um, but then what does that mean? So there's your quick 10-second answer, even though I took more than 10 seconds. But then to actually break down what that really means is going to just take more. There's a lot of data that goes into this. So it doesn't mean it's it's wrong or it's even good or bad that it can't, you know, like a huge, a huge deep contextual understanding of God and the triune being of God can't be broken down into a two-second answer. Um, that's just the way it is. Like there's plenty of things that that's just the way it is. If you want to know in the a difference in an apple and an orange, I'll show you an apple and orange back there. Um, but that still means you have to take a little bit to be like, oh, okay, orange is usually orange. <laughs> Apple is usually red, maybe green, maybe yellow. So I mean, you're gonna have to, you can get a quick answer, but you're gonna have to go deeper if you want anything substantial. Um, you'll be like, oh, one tastes this way, one tastes that way. Um, okay, I'm. Let's see. Why can Christians eat pork? This Christian doesn't, but why? Not religious reasons. Um, as you'll see. But, you know, why do Christians eat pork? The Bible clearly says in Leviticus not to eat pork. That's one of the questions from a questioner. So we'll talk about that. The answer's simple. Um, and then the difference in the God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New Testament. Because, you know, the books read the books in the Old Testament read differently from the books in the New Testament. Um, but then there's very real reason. It's not like a different God. It's not like God, you know, completely flipped the script. It's the logical progression. So if you look at the Old Testament books and how God operated then and everything was pointing to the Messiah versus the New Testament when the Messiah arrives, that's a very pivotal moment. So it makes perfect sense that the New Testament would read, um, you know, like the God of Old Testament, you know, people um, were on a very short leash, heads rolled, seas parted, earth swallowed people up for sinning, versus, you know, when the Messiah actually shows up, now there's a little bit more, a little bit more patience, a little bit more generosity, or a little bit more uh, grace. 
Um, and, you know, like Peter says, God's not slow in fulfilling his promises, but he's patient, hope, you know, wanting all to come to repentance. So it's not like God's just like out of nowhere, like, ah, let's just be a different God. Um, there's very good reasons for this. And, you know, the best way to answer it is just read the book from start to finish. You'll see why. Um, anyways, so we'll talk about that. So check out the Ask a Christian book available up on Amazon. And the Ask a Christian store is available. The link is in the description. And you can also support this uh, podcast just by donating. That would be super awesome. So take care, enjoy the discussion, and we'll see you next time. Um, Good let's morning. See. Good morning. How are you? I'm so, good, thank you. I was thinking, like, often, like, you know, when people talk about Ecclesiastes, which I'm, you know, I'm working my way through now because, I don't know, I got in this this habit a while back of just, like, you know, for my morning reading, just, like, start, start in the beginning and read all the way through. So, you know, I skip around plenty enough in these rooms and researching stuff. But, um, you know, for my daily Bible reading, I just, you know, read the book like it's a book. Imagine that. Um, anyway, so I'm at Ecclesiastes now, and, you know, we always talk about how Solomon's in, like, this certain kind of way and uh you know when people are like who don't read the bible like why do you christians you know look what solomon says and see he just says everyone's the same as animals blah 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 it's like well if you've read anything you know he's in like a spiritual funk and uh you know there's he's not in a great spiritual place and i thought well you know we talk about that a lot and then in completely different realms we talk about paul and like uh what corinthians where he talks about you know spiritual wisdom uh, or the wisdom of man is is worthless and you know you need the spiritual wisdom of God and God's discernment the discernment of the Holy Spirit, um, you know like this he talks about this worldly wisdom and how it's it's not great and it's just going to lead you like astray and I'm like wait that's like exactly what happened to Solomon in Ecclesiastes so why while it may not be you know reading uh, you know how to read a book because you know the author's intent Solomon certainly didn't know what Paul was going to write thousands of years later. But as far as a uh, good lesson to be learned, I mean, that's a case study. So, I mean, I don't know if Paul was really thinking of that, but, you know, uh, Solomon definitely can be a placeholder for anyone else who's like, oh, look, I've got all this material worldly wisdom. And, you know, even though it came from God, I mean, you know, I asked for it and God gave it to me, but it's still worldly wisdom. And look what happened to him versus, you know, Paul talking about the spiritual discernment and the spiritual wisdom that comes from God. That is, you know, the right thing. Anyway, that's my uh, thought I had this morning. What think you, Chris? You're amazing, Nate. Everything you say is golden. No? <laughs> All right, what about you? Nate. Everything you say is golden. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. All right, let's make our profit predictions. Uh, Chris, as I'm going to say, at the diner today eating breakfast, what do you say he's is keeping his tongue from speaking? I say it's Monday. He grabbed it on the... Like from one of those... Oh, what are those? The big uh, gas station you're excited about, Chris? Are those are, are there those in, our, in where you live? Or was that on the road trip? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? I think it was Chris that was telling me. It's like the giant, like, metropolis of gas stations. It's, like, got 100 gas, gas stalls. Bucky. Yeah. Maybe he's grabbing it from one of those places. Well, how was your weekend, Serendipity? It was one. What about you, Nate? Well, mine, mine was actually pretty good. Uh, consisted of picking up lots of dog poop, but besides that, you know. Um, oh, so exciting. Yeah, we got a new 
Did I tell you that? I don't even remember this. Last weekend's been a You did. I... Yes, you got yeah, the new puppers. He's such a cute little puppy. Like, it's a little <laughs> off character for me. Like, usually I get the, you know, growly, barking, Rottweiler, Doberman types. And, they, man, they just got too heavy. Like, because whenever they get older, it's, it's such a pain because I, yeah. I uh, don't have the greatest back. So it's like when I have to, like, lift them up into the car and lift them up, I'm like, oh, this is miserable. So, and then they think they're lap puppies, which is great, too, except, you know, they absolutely, like, crush me. Is I'm like, still, oh, you're so cute. I can't say no, but, huh? Is he still chewing everything in your house? Oh, the new one? Yep. Well, I say puppy. is actually, like, a year old, so I guess that's, what, young adult or adult. But, um. Right. He's He's got a... Yeah, so he, he would. Like, he, he hasn't really because we keep everything off the floor. But, you know, we're trying to give him a tennis ball. I've got a Kong that should be here tomorrow. Um, but, yeah, my kids are giving them a couple of their toys to occupy him, and he just, like, destroys in five minutes. I'm like, well, that's not that's not great. So, yeah, I, I just had to pry something out of his mouth. But for the most part, we keep everything off the floor and just give him a tennis ball, and he's pretty, pretty chill. Um, I highly recommend the Bark Box if you're not getting one. They run about 30, yeah, they run about 30 bucks a month. Um, Oh, I've seen those where it like just gives you an assortment of different stuff for your dog. Based on, yeah, based on their age and their development and the type of dog that it is. Um, The toys though are just, they're so high quality. Like if you don't want to have to repeatedly replace toys Um, and they always, you know, include like some kind of but like even if you only do it for two or three the toys that'll last a long time hmm i mean i know like my my roddy when i had him like i mean he had his kong toy for i think it was as old as him and he he was never able to fully destroy that yeah a long time but like even their plus she doesn't destroy even the plush toys are just they're just put together really really well and we've gotten some really great chews and stuff from them but I, I do I just I like takes into account like the type of dog that you have um, and like where they're at in their age of development I'm trying to take a picture of this thing so you can see every time I do, he moves. Come on, you stupid dog. Daddy loves you, but hold still. Man. <laughs> All right. Come on, dog. No one wants to play right now. Just act cute. Come on. Act cute. Just like you were in your wanted poster. Hold on. Yeah. No one's playing, dog. No one's playing. Okay, that's... uh. streets just like Steph now. Yes, I guess I guess that is what is happening. You spent too much time with Steph, and now you're taking in strays. <laughs> it's a problem. So, so what do you think about the Solomon Paul thing? Not a heretic, but you know, not reading by the book, but you know, eh? tertiary lesson. Who now? What? What? Who? What? Solomon oh, Paul? You're... What are you talking about? Oh, oh you're blocked. He wasn't out of here. even paying attention. What do you think, Serendipity? <laughs> I, was, I was getting my father-in-law to the facility. Thank you very much. I have no idea what you're talking about. He I would be disappointed in you. Nate. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot believe that, Chris. That was just for you. Sorry, buddy. I wasn't even in the car. 
Uh, well, the biggest source of frustration right now is trying to get this dog to hold still. All right, doggy, hold still. Oh, did I get it? Okay, well, you you don't look so cute right, there. I got but. I got a bunch of workers in my house right now tearing up tile, so I got to uh, I got to go work on. Peace be with you. <laughs> yeah, this is my this is my big tile job, serendipity. Starts today. Oh, my wife and I have been moving crap out of our living room and our uh, kitchen for the last two days, and then and we got it down to just the china cabinet, which I hate with a passion. I hope they drop it. Um, and uh, <laughs> the fridge and the stove. Oh my gosh, my my wife's best friend gave her this china cabinet that is made for a mansion. We have a twelve hundred square foot house. She has a six foot long, seven foot tall, 18 inch wide china cabinet sitting in our tiny, tiny, tiny kitchen that we do nothing with. She adores it and I want it to die. Because <laughs> I can't say this if I walk in the door of my house right now because then she will sulk for three days. Wonderful, wonderful. She All gets right. to keep the cabinet. Oh, she's keeping the damn cabinet no matter what I do. I'm <laughs> yep. out. I, I will be sleeping on the porch before the cabinet goes. For some reason. It's not like it's sentimental either. It was just showed up like five or six years ago. And it's like, you know, now it's like part of the family, I guess. I don't know. That's how we roll. I don't. You're going to have to explain it to me someday because she's not. It's like, hey, here's this giant thing that's way too big for our house that takes up an enormous amount of space for no reason that we don't store anything that we ever use in it. And we don't keep China in it to display because we don't have fine China to display. So I, I just, I don't know what the utility of this stupid thing is. And it's heavy as crap. One day she will re-embrace minimalism, Chris. today welcome pastor mark <clears throat> pastor there's mark, the puppy in my ptr by the way oh you change your oh oh you got like an hour look how cute. he looks cuter but his face is all weird one way i guess he's not meant for pictures he's just yeah right now he's all like he's all like yeah this is my face right before i eat your face <laughs> <laughs> oh he's a good boy He's precious. Don't He'll only eat your face your off house. in the nicest of way. Chew your face off. You think he looks mean? I mean, or one of your children. Anyway, I gotta have that note. I gotta go. I'll see you guys. <laughs> All right, see you later. <laughs> well, gee, I guess it's just us then. Mark, hope you had a good Sunday. I was, I was trying to... Uh, hit Chris with this amazing spiritual discovery that he just completely ignored. Not really. Anyone could have done it. You just need to read the Bible. Hey, welcome, Mark. All right, so what was the amazing spiritual discovery? <laughs> I hope no one thinks I'm serious. By the way, over the weekend, I, I learned that my wife, after like 16 years, still doesn't get my sense of humor. So anything I say, even if I like ha-ha after it or laugh at my own joke, 
she she takes it as gospel like she thinks it seriously so we were at this restaurant i'll get to that in a second we were at this restaurant over the weekend and we were right under air vent and we were with another couple and they were on the chilly side and their teenage boy was sitting next to him. he's like i'm cold and the dad like you know get he like scoots up in front of him. he's like that's all right here let me let me block this for you son <laughs> uh, and uh I'm like, wow, you're father of the year. I'm like, I'd be like, no kids, here, you scoot up and block it for daddy. Ha, ha, ha. And both wives turn, like his wife and my wife turn. And they're like, they just look at me. I'm like, what? And she's like, you have this Christian podcast. You're just supposed to be all super Christian. I'm like, one, I never said that. <laughs> and two, I'm joking. She's like, what? I'm like, bro, I'm joking. Like if my kids are freezing and turning blue, I'm not going to be like, no, no, block daddy so he can get warm. Like that, that's a joke. And then my wife's like, well, you really need to tell people you're joking when you say that. I'm like, you didn't know? Anyway, so apparently I, I have my own stuff I got to work out. I'm like, yes, I am joking. So uh, I, I should have said I'm, I'm joking about the spiritual wisdom. Anyway, Mark, <laughs> I, I was reading Ecclesiastes, and a lot of times we, um, <clears throat> you know, people will bring up a point, like, you know, a non-Christian about Ecclesiastes. And be like, see, this guy says animals are the same as, you know, humans are the same as animals, blah, blah, blah. And, our soul goes down and it's nothing. So why does that matter? And then we explain that Solomon's in a funk uh, when he writes this and he's gone astray and all this other stuff. Uh, but then Paul talks on a different group of people. They want to bring up Paul and like, the, you know, these like high minded arguments, like this wisdom and philosophy of man. And then we go to Corinthians. It's like, well, look, Paul talks a lot about God's spiritual discernment and God's wisdom versus man's wisdom that's worldly and fleeting and will lead you astray. And I'm like, well, if we put these two together, that's exactly what happened to Solomon. Like, you know, even though he asked God for wisdom, I mean, he asked for, you know, he got what he asked for, like this worldly wisdom. And it seems like, you know, maybe he put too much stock in that or didn't use it for like, you know, the right purposes. And he got off and he's like, well, look, here's what I observed. And I'm so wise. And here's this and here's this and here's this and all these observations. And it ultimately led him to this like deep kind of spiritual rut um, instead of, you know, pursuing like this godly wisdom and the spiritual discernment that Paul talks about thousands of years later in Corinthians. And I just thought, you know, that's interesting for a case study. Um, that's all. See, nothing big. Okay, maybe I need to just, just shut this podcast down. No, no, that was good. Yeah, I mean, Ecclesiastes. So <laughs> I always think of Ecclesiastes, and one of the verses in there is vanity of vanities, all is vanity, which is emptiness. And if you look at different verses in Ecclesiastes, you can find these four things. It's life on the earth, under the sun, from the cradle to the grave. So you picture this rectangle, okay, above the earth, but under the sun, that's the top and bottom. And then from the cradle on the left to the grave on the right. So in that box, in that box of life that is doesn't include eternal things everything's vanity everything's emptiness and that helps you understand the uh, tough parts in ecclesiastes sometimes i like that so i went to a men's conference on friday night and saturday and there were about 500 men there from probably about Probably about 120 different churches, and it was really well done. They they had six sessions, and four of them focused on the life of King Saul, and then 
two of them were a keynote speaker they brought in that just preached on whatever the Lord wanted him to. But the other four guys kind of coordinated to take different parts of the life of Saul and take us through it. And it was, it was really well done, excellent um, exegesis, and then driving home the application. And one thing that I thought was a good application, there was <clears throat> one of the times when David found King Saul and could have killed him, and David's uh, underlings are saying, this is your chance, kill King Saul, you know? And he says, no, I'm not going to do that. And he, um, one time you know, he cuts off part of his garment and then holds it up on the other hill so Saul could see that he could have killed him. So um, at that time, Saul says, David, I know that you're going to be king. And then after that, it says, Saul went his way back home. And so the application was, sometimes we know something is God's plan, but we don't submit to it. We just go home. We just, you know, you hear a, a good sermon at church and you know what God wants you to do because of what you heard, and we just go home. <laughs> we don't do anything about it. So the point that they made that was easy to remember is sometimes it's easy to know but not to kneel you know we need to submit to the truth that we've heard and actually put it into practice not just know it in our head but actually you know do something about it so anyway it's a pretty interesting point yeah that, that's kind of like the um like the the demons uh the demons believe but you know that's not enough kind of like that like it's not enough to know but it's you know to what are you going to do with that knowing that's a good point what where was this conference at i got the red bar can you hear me uh yeah it was in uh tampa oh okay <laughs> yeah my kids were asking uh i asked them what their their uh, sunday school class was about at church this week and they it's about Saul, and I'm still a little confused because we were just talking quick. I, I think they were talking about Saul that became Paul, but um, I thought they were talking about King Saul. They may have been. It was a quick conversation on the way to the chili restaurant where, you know, I was told I, I'm not funny. Um, but, yeah, they're like, well, I'm like, well, there's King Saul, and then there's Saul who became Paul. I'm like, you know, one was bad that turned out good and changed his name to Paul. The other one, and I'm like, you know, does the Bible actually say Saul was, was good? Or do you see he was kind of like inserted as like, you know, this, uh, this kingly type person. And he wasn't like bad per se, but did it ever say like Saul was really good? Like, I mean, it's been a while since I read about Saul. Like, I mean, he, he started off kind of like listening to the prophets and, and doing the right stuff, but it never really said he was good, right? Like he, he was kind of like neutral at best. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe not declaratory, declarative, he was good, but he definitely started out on the right foot. Um, and remember that one verse, it does say, um, when you were small in your own eyes, then you did what was right and God was pleased with you. But then when you became large in your own eyes, then you uh, began to fall away. So... Um, yeah, so I, I think he started out good. Now, the point at the men's conference for the first part of Saul's life 
was he was constantly feeling like he didn't measure up. Because remember he said, you know, you're supposed to be the king. And he's like, who, me? No. And then remember he's hiding himself when it comes time to anoint him as king. He's hiding. And so he's constantly measuring. Remember when Samuel first tells him, he says, me, I'm from the smallest tribe, Benjamin. And there's a lot of background exegesis on Benjamin you can study. But um, he's constantly measuring himself and thinking, I, I'm, I can't do this. I'm not measuring up uh, at the start. And so the point was, yes, we don't measure up. But if God's called us to do something, then in God's strength, we can do it, not in our own. But if we trust him, we can do it. So that was really a powerful point as well. Yo. Hey, Caleb, welcome. What's up? What up? You guys, uh, Christians? Yes. Are you? No. No Christian here. Is this just a Christian room or just kind of? No, no. Open forum. What's on your mind? Uh, I was hoping you guys could explain the, the Trinity to me. Sure. I mean, I guess it's easy to explain, hard to comprehend. People have tried for thousands of years. Um, so I guess, where are you? Um, you, you've heard all the explanations. You just still don't get it or ontological versus whatever. It doesn't work for you. Where's the, uh, where's the hangup? Uh, I don't know. Just the whole concept seems kind of incoherent. I don't know if there's a way to make sense of it. So in the, in the quickest way, very general and Mark can correct me where he wants. I would just say typically throughout humanity, we understand like the human body is like body, soul, and spirit. Um, and every, everyone has different ways of explaining what they mean by that. But typically like humanity um, has always understood the, the human body is like this triune being like body, soul, and spirit. So I don't think it's super hard to get the concept that God in the same way is like this triune being. And it's not one for one, like we're humans, he's God. So there are differences. It's not exact, but the point, uh, the concept shouldn't be, you know, unimaginable to understand. So that that's kind of where I think a secular person who's, you know, not claiming to be a theist or anything should start. So they don't have to believe it. They don't even have to understand it, but they should at least be able to be like, I get the concept. Um, so I would say that. So if we see like, you know, God in a similar, although not exactly the same way, we have God, you know, the father, which would be, you know, like the um, people would equate to like the soul, like our mind, our will, our, our emotions, like our command center, like our brain has to, you know, get impulses, you know, that move our arms and move our legs. Uh, that would be the will. That would be the function of God, of the father. And then God, the son, Jesus would clearly be the flesh. Like he walked among us. He lived as a human. So that would be the body part. And then the Holy Spirit, self-explanatory, the spirit. Um, and then I believe for humanity, like, you know, people will say, and they'll interchange these. So this is just one example. Like the soul or mind or will emotions are like kind of the bridge that controls, you know, our flesh, like our consciousness that come or our consciousness that comes from somewhere we can't quite pinpoint yet, that still controls our body. And I think that bridges the gap between like, I don't know, spirit us, the part that's eternal, the part that's going to live on forever, and our soul or mind or will or emotions will control that version of us too. So I don't think the concept is so hard to grasp um, unless people really have a reason to try to not get it. Um, but that's what I'd say. I see. I think it's, um, it's fairly easy to grasp. Like, like you can say like, there's like the father and the son 
and the Holy Spirit or whatever. But I, I think it's kind of like a vague thing. And I think if you just start like drilling down a little bit, um, I think most people, they probably just take it on faith that it makes sense. But I don't think most people have like an actually understanding of of what it means. So like do these, <clears throat> these beings, um, are there separate minds or is it one mind? Well, people usually say it's, you know, one God, three persons. So th this is the thing, I think, where you say people take it on faith. I mean, sometimes it may be easier. It may be ill-advised, but it may be easier. So, you know, if you look at the models, which I, I assume you, you probably have, if you look at all the different models and explanations of the Trinity, in order for that to make sense, in, or in order for that to be accurate, that means every single point they're building has to be accurate. If any of their premises are wrong, then that model of the Trinity is wrong, and it doesn't mean that that's... Uh, incoherent and God doesn't exist or the Trinity can't exist that way, it means there's a problem with that model. So if God is like, yes, we're a triune being, like there's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're three persons, yet one God. Um, if, if you know, they exist in this triune being the way Christians believe they do, then obviously this Trinity exists. So it's not a problem with the Trinity, it would be a problem with man's explanation. So I would say if, I mean, you know, faith may not be a bad way. But um, we see this all through the scripture. So it, the Bible tells us lots of what is. It doesn't tell us, you know, it doesn't like splay the mind of God on a platter for humans to like dissect like a Petri dish. So I think that's where humans get in trouble with like, you know, bad analogies and bad concepts. Because while well-intentioned, the Bible only tells what pretty much what things are. So then we try to say, well, the Trinity is actually this. And, based, and we build a whole argument on what a model of the Trinity is. And then when someone finds like a logical contradiction or a flaw in that model of the Trinity, then their faith or their would be faith is shaken. They're like, see, this is why I can't believe in your God, because this model of the Trinity doesn't make sense. Therefore, there can't be a Trinity. Therefore, I have a hard time believing that, you know, your God is feasible. Well, the whole time, the problem very well is with the person's model. That's all I'd say. So there's really nowhere to go because we don't have a way to, we don't have a way to validate it. Like we don't have a way to verify it. I mean, I guess once we get to heaven, we're like, God, I know the Trinity exists because you tell us in your word, and I see it all throughout the scripture, that clearly you're a triune being, and we're creating your image, so we have this triune nature. But, you know, despite my best reasoning, uh, can you please make sense of that? Um, so I think that's where we are. So there's no there's no good answer, like, on a piece of paper. I, I mean, you know, one of them could be right, but there's no way to verify it. There's no way to pull God down out of the sky and be like, God, is this right? Where did I go wrong? Can you please correct this model of the Trinity? I see. Um, yeah, it kind of sounds like I, I could agree that like someone's conception of the Trinity doesn't like hinge on the truthfulness of God or something like that. But um, I feel like, yeah, probably if, if if like the Christians are putting forward the Trinity as like a coherent concept, then I don't know. It's tough to understand. But um, wait, do they so do they have like three? Is there like one mind or is it like three different minds? That's where you're going to get different. I mean, that's where you may get different answers. But again, that means they would have to be true to continue that argument. So uh, like, you know, like Jesus in the Bible, like what the scripture says, he says, look, I don't do my will, but I do the will of the father. I do the will of him who sent me. So you could take that and think, OK, well, Jesus clearly has his own own mind in that way, his own thinking pattern. But he submits to the will of God. But then another person may say, OK, well, when Jesus says, you know, he doesn't do his will, but the will of the father. It's, it's basically a different way of saying the exact same thing because his will actually is the will of the Father. Therefore, they have the same mind. And you have both both examples would be would be like theologically, you know, you could you could make them theologically correct. But yet they're saying on one, 
they have different minds, and on other, it's the same mind. So it just depends how you nuance it out and explain it. Um, and then the common thing is, well, you know, if Christians can't even agree on this, how am I supposed to be a Christian? How am I supposed to believe in your God? And it's like, well, you should believe the things that God tells us in, in this Bible we need to believe. So he doesn't say you need to understand the mind of God and the full workings of the Trinity. He says that the mystery of the universe, the greatest thing you can do is repent and believe in Jesus and have this eternal life and, and security in him. And that's it. That's the thing that, you know, Christians by, by definition have to get. Otherwise, you know, they're not called a Christian. Like it's to be a Christ follower, a disciple of Christ. So if they get that, then there's really no messing that up. I mean, people still manage and call themselves Christian. But I mean, again, like Christ himself says, repent and believe the gospel. And if you do that, then by the word, you are a Christian. If you don't do that, then just because you call yourself that, which very few people manage to mess up, but a few sects do, um, they can call themselves Christian, but they're, they're not by, by the words of Christ. But then when we get to the Trinity and stuff, the Bible doesn't, you know, doesn't say is you absolutely must believe. Like if you never understand these deeper spiritual truths, all you do need to get for this eternal life is repent and believe the message of Christ. Um, so I'd say that would be the biggest thing. And it's funny how, you know, kind of like two birds with one stone. Usually when people just focus on the thing that Jesus says you must focus on, and they're like, okay, um, I'm, I'm going to trust Christ. I'm going to follow him. He says we must be born again. I want that. Like, you know, Jesus, I, I believe you died. You rose from the dead. You resurrected. You are God. Uh, you say you can save me and give me eternal life. I want that. You say it's free to all who ask. Make me born again. I repent. I'll stop doing what I know I shouldn't be doing anyways. Uh, please save me. Um, at that moment, that's what the Bible says you must get right. And whenever people do, and they start learning more about Jesus and just, you know, being a decent Christian and learning about Christ and following him, all of a sudden, a lot of these like deeper kind of spiritual truths, they start to kind of click in place. So then maybe you've never heard about the Trinity or the next time you hear about the Trinity, you're like, oh, you know what? I, I remember reading something about that. Like I never understood that before. Now it kind of makes sense and I get it. Um, so it's, it's kind of a different way of getting the answer. I, I think um, for myself, that was true. And I think for most Christians, they're like, yeah, I didn't start believing in Christianity because I knew anything about the Trinity. Like, I believe Jesus and, you know, this eternal life he talks about, um, I followed him. And then whenever I got around to reading about the Trinity or I just started reading the Bible to learn about Jesus, and I started seeing this thing. Like, I just thought he was the Messiah. But then I started reading the scriptures, and, you know, Peter says he's the Messiah, and he says, good job, the Holy Spirit revealed this to you. But then I kept reading, and he said, you know, I, I do the will of the Father, and if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So how does that work? And now these people with, like, no Trinity education or any of this stuff um, have a concept of the Trinity. When they were looking for it, they didn't know anything about it. They just got the thing right they need to get right. And I believe, you know, the Bible talks about God will live with you and guide you into the truth and understanding. And I believe that's what's happening. So then by the time they hear about the Trinity, they're like, oh, yeah, I believe in the Trinity. And then, you know, you'll find someone that's, like, been an anti-Trinitarian or anti-theist. And they're like, oh, is that a based on predication or ontology? And they're like, I don't know anything about that. I just know I read about the, the God of the Bible, and he's a triune being. Didn't mean to preach. Didn't mean to preach. Yo, Nate. Uh, let's see what Kayla has Yo, to say Nate. real fast. Uh, let's Ooh, see what Kayla has to say real fast. I guess. I don't know. Oh. I, I guess. I don't know. Yo, General, your mic's popping off. So, um, General, just hang out for a minute. I'm letting Caleb respond since I've talked for a while. I guess that's um, that's a little bit, yeah, maybe we have different rhetorical styles. I did so, like, this is kind of why I think it's it seems incoherent, because I've asked you this question twice, and it seems like you say, some people can say something, some people can say something else, and then you, like, 
go on for like three or four minutes about some other topic. And so I don't know if there's an answer to this question that you have, or if you don't have an answer to the question or. Well, yeah, I mean, I was trying to be thorough. I mean, but the simple answer is, well, read the Bible or like read the Athanasian Creed. Like that's the simplest answer. So if you look at, if you Google the Athanasian Creed and Google it with scripture verses, like it'll give you each scripture verse for why we believe the Trinity and what the Trinity is based on the Bible, not based on someone. Uh, I don't mean to give a three or four minute answer again about a different topic. I'm trying to be on topic, but I'm really trying to answer your question. So it, it's, it's based on the Bible and where we see it. So like it may not say exactly what the Trinity is, but it gives you all the actual Bible verses for why people believe in the Trinity. So that's the best I could say is if, you know, you don't like what I said so far, the Athanasian Creed with, with scriptures to back it up. And that's the, that's the same evidence. No matter who comes up with the idea of the Trinity in Christendom, there, it's going to be derived from these verses. So then you could do your own thing and read that and be like, okay, these, these are why the Christians. So at that point, it's not worth me, you know, trying to give a description of the Trinity because everywhere I'm getting it is the same place everyone else is getting it from. And the Athanasian Creed is the simplest form of what you're talking about. It talks about, you know, the Father, the Father is God, Father is not the Son, the Father is not the Holy Spirit. It gives the scripture verses for why that is. The Spirit is not the Son, it's not the Father. And so it goes through the list, just like you're asking. It's still a very long list, because the Bible's full of examples of this triune nature of God. Um, but if you want simple and concise, that's the best you've got. So Athanasian Creed with scripture verses. And then you can see, um, you, you can see how everyone who comes up with this idea of the Trinity gets it. Is that a little more what you're looking for? Um, kind of, sort of. I guess I don't know. I guess it would be more of like a meta conversation of like how, because like, for instance, like if you ask me like, like why are you an atheist or something, um, I'd like to have like some answer ready, like some way to defend why I'm an atheist or something. Or I could say like, oh, you could like go read Sam Harris, or like you could go like hang out in like an atheist like place, or you could go read that. Like, do you see how like I don't know. I do. I, Maybe I, it's just I, different, different kind of styles of, of talking or whatever. But I well, that's usually how I like try to go about conversations. Is like if somebody asks me a direct question, I like to like have an answer ready and like here's how I can defend it. Or I could like tell them to like oh like go read this or that or go talk to these people. But it seems like that's a little more unsatisfying to me. But okay, I, I get it. So yeah, it could be styles. Um, I guess I like the sound of my own voice too much. But okay, I, I get what you're saying. But to compare apples to apples, if you if I say why are you an atheist? Hopefully, the answer you'll give me is because I lack a belief in a god or gods. Anything else is red flags. So, I mean, if someone says, why are you an atheist? Because I, I generally lack a belief in a god or gods. That's what I claim. And I'd be like, okay, fair enough. Um, versus if you say, why, why are you a Christian? I'd be like, I have a spiritual conviction. The Bible is true. I've called on the name of Jesus. I've repented. I've done what Jesus says to do. I've asked him to forgive me, give me eternal life that he talks about. And I have this spiritual awareness that the Bible is true. Jesus is true. And my soul is safe in him. That's why I'm a Christian. I believe that's the most accurate representation of this life and everything in existence. That's why. So I think that that would be your concise answer. But then if I ask you like the philosophical metaphysical nature of atheism and where it come from and its root, that's going to take you more than saying I lack a belief in a God or gods, right? So to, com to compare apples and apples, whenever you ask about the Trinity, um, that's very much different than asking why am I a Christian? Like I asked, I answered why I'm a Christian or why I believe in Christ in like what thirty seconds. But to ask me about the Trinity, that's first of all, it's a tertiary thing. It's not, it's not a primary gospel. Uh, so, and it's also incredibly complex. So you're asking me to summarize the Bible like thousands of pages, um, the same way I summarize the gospel, which is so simple a child can understand it. 
Um, so I'd say that would be akin to me asking like a deep philosophical type question about your atheism rather than just saying, you know, hey, why are you an atheist or why are you a Christian? Uh, does that make sense? So, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to do the best I can, but it's a it's a very weighty topic. So some things there just aren't quick and easy answers for. Funny thing, though, <laughs> Christianity, um, the mo the thing that should be the most difficult to get, like, how do I get this eternal life? How do how am I cool with God? How do I have how do I live for eternity and bliss with my creator? Well, that's like the easiest possible thing in the whole Bible. Um, but then when you ask things that are not essential to salvation, those get a little a little you know harder because they're not essential. They're not just right in your face. I got it. What I think you, that, that, that kind of makes sense. Um, I guess it sounds like you're saying that the Trinity is not like a vital part to being a Christian, um, even though it's like maybe. Yeah, it's like it's one of the like essential parts, but it's not like the absolute critical thing. And I, yeah, I don't have like a super I don't have like super great critiques on the Trinity. I just kind of wanted to uh, know more in, like, I don't know, see what you'd say to the, to a question like that. But I don't know. It seems like like God, like the Bible, if he wants to be like in a relationship with us and he built this universe to like house us and he wants to like it seems like pretty much all the stuff in the Bible should be like pretty easily understood right because he like made it all for us and like so it seems like the trinity should just have like a pretty simple like like it doesn't have to have like some phd in philosophy to explain it away or something like that it seems like it should be like yeah like here here's how you explain it and i don't know that's how i would see like if a god made the universe like how he would like make the concepts of of himself or whatever it seems like it'd be like easy for us to understand actually that's a great point the Bible does speak directly to this. So here's a simple answer for the Bible. And then I want to ask Chris if he's not knee-deep in tile dust. So, well, Chris said it is, and I would say, sure. Uh, like earlier, we talked about how people, you know, get the gospel, and then they have the spiritual enlightenment. They have the God of the universe, we believe. That's our claim. Guiding us through it. So all these, like, deep philosophical, PhD, theological-type questions, they just start making sense to a bunch of people that, you know, like my grandparents, like, didn't even know how to hardly read. They went to third grade. And they somehow had this, like, I, I had all these deep spiritual truths, like, you know, their belief in the Trinity, their belief in like, you know, this hypostatic union. They couldn't spell hypostatic union. They didn't know hypostatic union is what they were talking about, yet they understood it. So like, oh, Jesus, yes, he was fully God and fully man. They would never know to use the word hypostatic union, but it just clicked, I believe, unless it's an amazing coincidence um, that the God of the universe guided them into this. However, when you say, and then I'll shut up, I'll try to. Whenever you say, wouldn't it be, wouldn't God just make it super easy for everyone to understand everything? Well, the Bible directly speaks to this. And like John 9, I think, when Jesus is talking about um, these parables and his disciples say, Jesus, these parables are confusing. Like, why are you speaking to people in parables? Like, why don't you just tell them straight out? Like, why do you speak in riddles? And he says, because for, and the Bible didn't explain the mind of God, but it says, matter of factly, this is God's good pleasure that some people, will, I'll tell these parables and some people will understand them. And other people won't because of like their hardness of heart and their darkness of mind uh, because they don't want to receive it. Therefore, they won't, which is which is what we see play out all day, every day. So when people say some things like, why don't we understand these deep spiritual truths? Why don't we understand all these parables? Why don't I realize that I'm the guy in the parable Jesus is talking about? Well, Jesus says outright, for whatever reason, not everyone is supposed to understand these spiritual things. And, you know. That's, that kind of makes you feel a certain way, right? Like if God is the universe, the creator of the universe and wants this relationship with his creation, and he says, you know, whosoever will call in the name of the Lord, you know, will be saved. Like whosoever believes. So if you're one of those people that can, you know, say, I'm one of the whosoever people, I believe the death, resurrection, resurrection of Jesus Christ, then congratulations. You're one of those people. 
But if someone is obstinate and stubborn and will never be like, yes, I believe I'm one of those people, I will follow Christ, then you're one of the people, unfortunately, and I, I don't mean you like you, Caleb. I mean, I guess you, you could fit the bill, but I'm talking generally. Um, then that person is one of the people who are not supposed to understand these parables, the Trinity, these deep spiritual truths, and they're going to, you know, go into the next life not believing in this God. Um, so the Bible does speak to that. But Chris, um, I don't think you were here for Caleb's actual question. Let's see how you fare. Caleb, can you uh, can you state your original question over again, and let's see how uh, Chris does, because I don't think he was here for it. It was like, how do you understand the Trinity, or what's the easiest way? Can you recap that, Caleb? Sure. I gotta I gotta dip out for a bit. Um, so maybe I'll come back. I don't know if you'll be here in like half an hour or something, but um, yeah. Probably. Do you want to restate okay. the question before you go so we can chat about it? Sure. I was just asking, like, um, I don't know what, like, what is, if they could explain the Trinity. Um, I had some, like, follow-up questions, but it didn't seem like we got to those uh, very much. But I don't know. I kind of asked, like, yeah, if you can just explain the concept of the Trinity. Because I've, 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 like, I've heard, yeah, like, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I feel like most people that are Christian, they can say that. But I feel like they don't actually have, like, if you actually, like, I'm sure if I drill down, like five questions deep into it. I don't think most Christians would have like an actually coherent concept, like thoroughly fleshed out of what it actually means. Like, do they have different minds? Do they like, um, or is it the same mind? Or if one commands something, do they all command something? Or like, who? I don't know. There's like a lot of just questions that you could get into, but uh, that was kind of a long-winded form of the question there. <laughs> I so, rubbed off on you. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you can. Well, yeah, go so, ahead. So, I mean, the answer like you were talking about some, there should be a simple answer. One God in three persons, co-equal, co-eternal, consubstantial. Now you can drill down into each of those concepts. What's a person? What does co-equal mean? You know, what does consubstantial mean, et cetera, et cetera. So there is an easy answer that we can give you what the Trinity is. And that's all you really need. Um, but there's been literally 2000 years of Christian writing on the Trinity that whatever question you want to throw at it has been thoroughly dissected and gone through by Christian theologians for longer than most countries' histories. So, I mean, you want to talk about like, does the Trinity have one mind? Does it, does it have three wills? Do, you know, et cetera, et cetera. All of that stuff has been asked and answered in thousands and thousands of pages of Christian theology. So if you want to get that through, you can. If you'd like the easy answer, it is easy. It's just one God, three persons, co-equal, co-eternal, consubstantial. Very simple. Yeah, if you are looking, if you truly are looking, um, I would recommend The Whole Council of God by Dr. Gamble. Um, those are some really good it's a really good series of books, um, collection of books. Um, I think there's three total. Um, so you might want to check those out. Uh, yeah, Chris, he did ask. He, he I, I can't believe it. Like, uh, maybe that's what perked your ears. He's like, I wish there was someone that could just tell me like a book to read. I thought, oh my gosh, where's Chris? And now you're here. So, uh, you know, <laughs> usually people poo poo on your book recommendations, but yeah, if you have a, uh, a book yeah. to recommend. Uh, he specifically asked for that. Like, do we want a book on what are the historic origins of all of it, the Trinity, or do we want a book on the theology of the Trinity? I mean, going to be a lot of stuff. 
all of it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, unless there's look, like a good system, a good systematic. Yeah, there's like a, there's thousands of books, uh, but um, You're top a three. good systematic, a good systematic theology, like John Frame's systematic theology or Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, is going to thoroughly explain the Trinity. Um, I would say that another really good book is going to be something like uh, like a real short one is What Is the Trinity. Uh, with R.C. Sproul, it's like 35 pages, and it's free. You can just download it as a little PDF, and my son just read it. It's like it's a very rudimentary understanding of the Trinity, very quick. Yeah, I definitely su- support uh, Ligonier, but I heard I, I haven't looked into it, but I heard uh, Grudem has some funky stuff um, with his Trinitarian doctrine, but I can't say for sure. Eh, I mean, he's he's okay. He's more so the funky stuff you may be talking about is something like EFS. So that's well beyond an understanding of the Trinity. That's more of an internal debate in terms of eternal functional subordination. But and, and that has to do with uh, women's roles and all that stuff, um, Aviana. So I don't think he would end up getting that deep. I don't think. I mean, I read graduate level books on theology pretty much regularly and EFS is nerdy even for me. Let's put it that way. Oh, well, Caleb, did you get those titles? I think he had to go. Oh, and maybe he'll come back. Hopefully he got the, maybe general will come back. General seemed like he was real excited. Yeah, because that might be a book series that you might like to have is the whole council of God by, by Dr. Gamble. Yeah, I just wrote that down, so I'm going to check that out. My wife will literally chop me into pieces with an axe if I buy one more book right now, since our house is torn <laughs> up. So <laughs> I, I have to laugh at that. Oh, that's so funny. Well, it, I, yeah, it was, it, well, the guy was, I, I mean, it was kind of, I was trying to like, I don't know, give the guy just the most generic kind of understanding, and then he's like, no, you're talking too long. You're talking too long. I'm like, and, but then he said he had like, you know, five follow-up questions and those questions like would have easily led to like a long discussion. So it's like, you know, I was trying to figure out where to go and then you show up and you're like, you know, co-equal, co-eternal, consubstantial, which, okay, it's like there, there's a 10 second answer. But then based on his follow-up questions, you're going to have like an hour long discussion anyway. So it's like, it's, it's like, how do you want your lengthy discussion at first or gradually? Because cause there's no no like super easy way to talk about the Trinity. It's like Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There you go. Okay, what does that mean? Okay, well now long conversation. That's the only way to uh, really deal with it. Um, sometimes keeping the simple saints is is the best way to answer a question instead of giving them a long drawn out theological answer. Because folk, some folks you want some folks are not ready for the meat. They, you can only give them milk. And people who think they want meat and think they are ready for it, they wind up choking because you, you give them too much information. Just keep it simple. I agree. And it all it all starts with the gospel. So it's not what anyone wants. Um, you know, the people asking stuff about the Trinity and these deep spiritual things and the deed of Christ. Like, you know, the gospel is, I mean, usually because they're not Christians, so they're very ardent something else. Um so it's like, you know, the actual gospel, it's what they need, but it's the last thing they want. So they just tell me all the ways Jesus is God. It's like, here's all the ways. Like, if you have the gospel, if you are saved and sealed by the Holy Spirit via, you know, like Jesus is giving you eternal life, we're going to give you the exact same data. 
Except, you know, when we give you the, the same data we're giving you right now on the other side of you being a, a eternal life given Christian by Christ, um, it's going to start making a lot more sense. If we give you the exact same data now and you're rejecting Christ as the Messiah, you, you know, you're fighting against the Trinity that you don't even really know what is, um, you're, you're probably going to reject that. Like, I doubt, like, being convinced of the Trinity is going to lead someone to Christ. It's like following Christ will, will lead someone to the Trinity, though. Um, so it's like they, they want the cart, they're putting the cart before the horse. It's like you need to get the gospel. You need to take care of your eternal salvation. And, you know, once, once that is done, and by you, I mean God, Chris, it's okay. Um, but once God has sealed you eternally and you're regenerated, you're a new person in Christ, then all these deeper things, given the same data as before, are going to start making sense. And then you're going to be like, wow, this was so easy. Why didn't do I just do this way before? Um, versus trying to do it the other way around. It's like, I want to understand everything about your God, but also deny him and not believe he exists, um, including the Trinity or the deity of Christ, etc. Yeah, that part of your answer, Nate, to him was really good when you said how that after you receive Christ as Savior, then all those other things begin to make sense. And of course, that fits with what the Bible says in a lot of places, but 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. So, yeah, I mean, I, I like what, what um, Sean said too, because, you know, if we can give them the gospel and if they will repent and receive Christ as Savior, then everything else will fall into place and they'll understand it. And if they are not going to do that or not willing to do that, then all the explanations we give are not going to make sense. So I like the idea of giving a, a concise answer and then go to the gospel. I remember Spurgeon used to say about his sermons, he said, I, I preach on the text and then I make a beeline for the cross. So that was always good. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's the same thing like we, you know, we started this room with today and it was like talking about, you know, uh, Solomon and his worldly wisdom and how all it did was serve to lead him further and further astray. So it's like if you want all these like, you know, extra biblical models of the Trinity and all this other stuff and all this man's wisdom, you know, the, the best ones were based on the Bible. But still, it's like essentially you're wanting like man's wisdom and man to point you to this thing instead of God's wisdom, which points you to the cross. And after that, then all this other stuff via God is going to make a lot more sense than man and man's wisdom is going to make for you. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's like, you know, thousands of years. And wasn't Solomon who also said nothing changes under the sun? So, I mean, he got that right. Like, you know, his worldly wisdom didn't change. Man's worldly wisdom today doesn't change. Like, it's just going to confuse and alienate people even more versus God's wisdom via the cross. And it's it's just, it's so easy that I guess it, it, people make it hard. Was he not willing to listen to any scripture verses? Because he talked about, like, how he doesn't think that the Trinity should have to be on this, like, hard philosophical, you know, level and, like, all these things. And, I mean, I think the Trinity is relatively easy to see within scripture. I mean, yes, it's not explicit in the sense of, like, right, God is triune. Like, you're not going to find, right, that those exact words but I would say that that's right kind of like word fallacy play but I mean like John 1 1 is pretty clear John 1 5 is like 
super clear, you know, and then uh, Acts, um, Acts 5-2, like for the spirit, like these are all, all places that I think are like really pretty clear. Well, more uh, than what, uh, yeah, instead of wanting like, uh, instead of just wanting like what you're talking about, the Bible verses, like he wanted the how and wanted the why, which, you know, the Bible, the Bible doesn't often give us the why and the how because either we don't need to know it or we can't know it because that's like god i mean that would like break our brains if you know can you imagine like if, if god like included in the bible like a whole a whole book of the trinity and i mean maybe it would be like ten thousand pages maybe it would like make people go paranoid schizophrenic because it would just be so like mind-bending we couldn't conceive of it i mean you know that that may be extending it to kind of ridiculous proportions but you get it right so it's like the bible doesn't often tell us like the how and the why so much as this is what you need. It's like a need to know basis, right? So it's either either like we need to know about the cross and about the resurrection of Christ and how we can be our savior and we can have eternal life in him. And we don't need to know the inner workings and the full mind and the thought process of God and how and why all this stuff happens. Um, because we either, we don't need to know it or we can't know it because like our brains cannot comprehend it. So God in his wisdom very well could just be like, hey, believe this, here you go, you're good. I mean, that's like my goodness, like that's like pet ownership. Like I've had this dog like four days now. Like I don't need to explain my mind. Like I've had to like, you know, snap his leash a couple times to pull him back from running in front of a car. Like he probably thinks I'm like a moral monster and like how evil I am and what an evil, you know, person I am. Uh, while realistically, I'm like, dog, when I pull on your leash and say get back, that just that's all you need to know. Don't worry about it. You can't understand about combu internal combustion engines racing towards you and inertia and dog goes splat. Your, your little doggy brain can't understand that. So why don't you just be a good little dog and listen to what I'm saying and do what I tell you to do. Um, and then imagine God on such a higher level and, you know, we're the little puppies. Yeah, I think that's, you know, I think that's exactly right. Like, like you were saying before, like he was definitely putting the cart before the horse. I mean, these things that, right, we're talking about, like he wants to get, into stuff it seems so right more like eternal generation inspiration and things of that nature of which like more so like i'm just starting to get into these things now after being a christian for eight years and that's under like being under very very good uh theological teaching and like i'm not even i know when i read about it i'm not probably gonna fully understand it um because i'm just not on that level like these are minds of like the greatest theologians like of our time we're speaking on these things and it's like he's expecting you know every christian to to have these answers right about god that are really for the extremely learned christian and even even oh, sorry even when you have an extremely learned Christian that's learning about them, they're probably not going to understand them right to the fullest extent um, as these great theologians who stood before us. Um, Tell mommy you need some sugar, little one. Tell mommy yeah. you need some Skittles. Say, mommy, I want some Skittles. <laughs> Say, no what, sugar um, for me. <laughs> one other well, point then, we could. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, Mark. I was say one other point we could discuss about this is um, how how secondary or tertiary or essential is the Trinity to salvation, and I think almost everybody will agree that uh, some of the t 
teaching wrapped up in the Trinity has to be essential to salvation. For example, the fact that Jesus is God, the deity of Christ, because if he's not God, then he can't uh, live a perfect life and sacrifice himself for our sins. He can't pay a price of eternal death in a moment of time if he's not the eternal God. And so, you know, we most people will, would understand that the, the Godhood of Christ, the deity of Christ, is essential to salvation. And can somebody be saved and not know that? Well, okay, maybe, but they can't be saved and deny that uh, because that is one of what we call it the fun, a fundamental of the faith or I think uh, Reformed folks call it an essential or something like that. So, and then when you get to the Trinity then, you know, if you're going to deny the Trinity, speak against it, well, is that the same God? Is that the same Jesus? Or is this another Jesus then? So it becomes uh, quite an interesting discussion with people who would, you know, claim salvation, claim to have received Christ as Savior, but then want to hold to uh, um, a non-biblical view of the Godhead. So that that's quite an interesting thought. So I don't know what you guys think about that. Oh, yeah, Mark. Uh, thanks for bringing that up. I forgot. Like, yeah, I, I, I didn't get to clarify that because I think I was, I was told I talked too long. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I forgot. Um, yeah, because I, I have this habit of being like, look, believing in the Trinity is not essential to salvation. Meaning that, you know, in my mind, like, you know, if someone uh, believes Christ as the Messiah, that he has the power to forgive, you know, the stuff just like Peter did when he confessed him as, as the Messiah and Christ said, you do well. Um, you know, if they believe in the death, resurrection of Christ, just like Romans 9 and 10 says, 10, 9 and 10 says, uh, if they believe that and confess, then they are saved. So my thought of you don't have to believe in the Trinity, like everything you just said, Mark, I agree with, like, you know, Jesus, it, because it links to it, like you can believe in the Trinity, even if you don't even know what the Trinity is, that if you're like, yes, only Christ has the power to forgive. Why is that? Only God can forgive. Christ is God. Like you st all these things start linking together and joining in this chain that, you know, eventually, yes, Christ has to be divine. He has to be God. Otherwise, he would have sinned. Otherwise, he can't be perfect. So you, you are led to the Trinity, the more understanding you get. But if you just believe like, you know, the ABCs, like Christ says, believe in me, I have the power to forgive. You may not have all those links in the chain that he has the power to forgive therefore he's god that's why he's perfect you may just have faith in christ you know somewhere like the old testament people they didn't have christ in front of them they had faith in god so it's like why well, have faith in christ he says i'm the only way to heaven he's the son of god and if you've seen me you've seen the father i don't really understand that but you know all i know is he says if you believe in me and you know confess jesus as lord you'll never die you'll live forever so i want that forgive me save me give me eternal life then if you get struck by lightning you're you're saved you're in heaven um, so in my mind, when I say it's not necessary to believe in the Trinity, that's why, like assuming right after you you were saved, you get smacked by a buck, a bus. Um, but yes, if you continue living, if you continuing exist, continuing existing, and don't hide your head in the sand, you're gonna be like, okay, so what about this? Like you know, Christ Christ says, good job, Peter, for saying he's just the Messiah, just the chosen one, just the anointed one. But what does that mean? And then so yeah, if if he can has the power to forgive, what does that mean? And then you're led to the deity of Christ. And then you're, if you stay on that road, you're going to be led to the Trinity. Uh, so I believe that's the that's the logical progression. Uh, but if something you know prematurely ends your life before then, then yes, you you're just as saved as someone who has a PhD in tr Trinityology. I don't know. Um, 
but yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Mark. That is important and nuanced. I think a lot of people are like, they said, you know, I got to believe in the Trinity. Well, technically, but you know, that needs, that needs some explanation. Yeah. And I wasn't uh, correcting you. I don't think you came across wrong in the way you said it. I just thought that would be a good point to bring out today. And another point is when people espouse a wrong view about God and the deity of Christ, uh, or even even you know, the other aspects of the Trinity, you know, that uh, the Spirit is God, but the, that they're all co-equal and co-eternal rather than, you know, the, the Son, you know, starting at some point in time or whatever. That whenever they espouse wrong views about the Trinity, it often ends up linking with other uh, wrong views that really are pretty important. Like a lot of folks who have some, I think, wrong ideas about the Trinity also believe that you have to be water baptized to go to heaven and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, usually one wrong teaching leads to others, you know? Yes. And, and, you know, also like his confusing point where he's like, you know, it shouldn't be that confusing, da, da, da. Like you shouldn't have to have, you know, a, a PhD in, in this stuff to get it. And I, I, I don't know, like where this misunderstanding, I mean, I guess the devil, like, I don't know where this misunderstanding comes from. But it's like, yes, you can have all the right jargon and lingo and, you know, accreditation and spend years of your life in study. But you can also have the exact same views these PhD theologians for the ages have. You just may be missing, you know, man's terminology or stuff like that. I mean, you know, like my grandfather, like that's the greatest example I have. Like the guy dropped out of school in third grade to start working on his farm. Um, so, but he had the King James Bible. However that happened, I can barely work my way through it now, but that's all he had. That's all he used. And they still, like when I listen to, you know, people like Chris and when he goes through like, you know, the, these books and like, you know, these stances of like, you know, these heavyweight theologians, I'm like, wow, that's exactly what my grandparents believed. But if you talk to them, they would never know to use these words. They would never know to say these things, but that, that is exactly what they believed. So how do you have someone who's basically unlearned um, come to the same conclusions that, you know, these like people that have spent decades studying and, you know, I'm going to say God. The spiritual discernment part. Yes. Yeah. It's like, you know, you have the same Bible. And if you're a believer, you have the same indwelling spirit that will uh, help you understand the Bible. And so, yeah, the, the more we submit to God and his word, the more we agree on things because we have the same Bible and the same Holy Spirit. Yeah, but then you can have other people who, you know, I would say do not have that Holy Spirit who still use the same Bible, King James Bible, um, and, you know, they get led astray into cults. Um, so I'd say, you know, just having the same book uh, doesn't make you on the same page. Having the same book with the same God does. Um, the same spirit. And the same submission to that truth. Anyone else have a thought? So what was your uh, church service about Sunday, yesterday? I'm sorry, were you asking me that or somebody else? Uh, yes. Uh, no, you. You're the only one speaking right now. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, 
Well, we've been um, working through the book of Romans and the book of Isaiah in our Sunday services. And sometimes uh, the Romans is the morning service, sometimes the evening. And sometimes Isaiah is one or the other. And then every once in a while we have messages from other uh, things in the Bible as the Lord leads. But So yesterday we had just finished the doctrinal section of Romans chapters 1 through 11 and begun the practical section 12 to 16 and that is one of the most tremendous transitions in the Bible from uh, Romans 11:33, and then because of that it says I beseech you therefore brethren because of all these wonderful truths I beseech you to present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And that says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So the morning message was about the will of God and how to prove or experience God's will in your life. And based on that verse, uh, a believer has to be a living sacrifice they have to be not conformed to the world, and they have to be allowing their mind to be transformed to think like God thinks through Scripture in order to experience the will of God. And, of course, a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I'm doing God's will for my life, but they're not a living sacrifice. They've been squeezed into the mold of this world, and they're not transforming their mind with Scripture, so they're just kidding themselves to say they're doing the will of God because... To experience it, you've got to meet those qualifications as a believer. So that was Sunday morning. I can give you Sunday night, too, if you want, but that was Sunday morning. Sure, what was Sunday night? Okay, so Sunday night we were in Isaiah, and last message in Isaiah, we tried to do all of chapter 22, but couldn't quite do it. So the first part of Isaiah 22 talks about how the uh, people of Judah were in danger of God's judgment just like the other nations because they were self-reliant and self-assured and things like that. Well then last night we looked at the second half of the chapter where the Lord has Isaiah actually name names. You know, a lot of people say preachers shouldn't name names, but sometimes, <laughs> sometimes the Lord wants it. So he names Shebna as a negative illustration, and then Eliakim as pretty much a positive illustration. And um, so the idea of the message was, uh, are you going to be like him? Are you going to be like Shebna? Or are you going to be like Eliakim? And then... There's a real controversial verse at the very end of the chapter, and it's hard to tell if it's referring to Shebna or Eliakim, and so we had some fun discussing that, and um, Eliakim seems to be a type of Christ, because it says of him in Isaiah that he will hold the keys of the city of David, and no man can shut and no man can open, and that's exactly quoted again in Revelation to describe Christ. So we have New Testament um, authorization to make Eliakim a type of Christ. So we kind of drilled down in a lot of those areas on Sunday night.
Aviana, you have any thoughts about that? Or are you feeding your child sugar? Hey, if you have a chance, Nate, um, can you, if you want to read the end of Isaiah 22, that'd be an interesting thing to see what you guys think about, uh, it says Eliakim is a nail in a short place, and then he seems to be this type of Christ, but then verse 25 says the nail will be removed, and you get the idea that if it's Eliakim, then the typology doesn't carry through necessarily because Christ obviously didn't fail and that's okay because typology doesn't have to always carry through but then some people will say that the nail that fails is referring back to Shebna earlier in the chapter and so it, it's quite a quite an interesting uh, passage to try to figure out How long is Isaiah 22? It's 25 verses, but the Shebna Eliakim is 15 and following. But if you just want to read like 21 and 22, and you'll see the typology of Eliakim like Christ, and then 25, and or maybe, maybe you have to read 23 also. Anyway, if you want to do that, we can look. Do you have it there? Uh, no, I'm driving. Okay. I, I'm, you I'm, might have to get off Fortnite and bring up your Bible program. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was just going to say that. I, yeah, I can do that. It may uh, take a minute. I have to I have to find one more golden chest to open. Um, <laughs> if I say Viana wants to do that while she's got a, got a child in one arm, or uh, Chris, you're used to working on tile dust, hope you're wearing a mask. Okay, fine, let's just do this. Okay, so... Sorry, I'm in tile land, man. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? I've had a problem. I, I usually use... I use Bible Gateway for my, like, my daily reading because it does a good job of placeholding. But then I try version. That app used to be my go-to, but it has so much trouble now. Like, whenever I open it, I have to, like, clear the data each time if I want to use it. Like, it's such a... such a pain. I guess I'll just have to use the internet for this. I like BLB on my phone, and then I have a, I had a, I have a Mac computer, and years ago there was a really good program for Mac called Online Bible, and then when the systems upgraded, they still have Online Bible, but it was like a, kind of just a, a real quick uh, workup to help it work with the new system, but it wasn't as well done as the original. But I'm too cheap to pay for a program. Okay, I've got... Um, all right, so Isaiah 22, starting at 21, talking about Eliakim. Uh, I'll call my servant Eliakim, son of Micaiah. And I will clothe him with your robe, and will bind your sash on him, and will commit your authority to his hand, and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. I will place on his shoulder a key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut, and none shall open. And now you said uh, go to 25. Oh, I'm sorry. Then the next verse talks about him being a nail in a secure oh. place. Okay, so 24. And he will hang on him the whole honor of his father's house, the offspring and issue, every small vessel from the cups to all the flagons. Flagons? 
Uh, in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, the peg that was fastened in a secure place will give way, and it will be cut down and fall, and the load that was on it will be cut off, for the Lord has spoken. So he's the peg in the secure place, and everything hangs on him. But then verse 25 says the peg will be, or the nail will be broken off. And so how to understand verse 25 is the debated one. Some people think it is Eliakim. Some people try to say, no, that's referring back to verse 15 to 20 was talking about Shebna. So, but that seems like a stretch to me. Yeah, I would, I'll just go with you for now. Like that would, that would take me some time to probably, probably think about. But I like the thought, um, deep thought, deep thoughts with Mark. Uh, so when you um, keep going, when you get to chapter 36, I think it's 36, then you find that Shebna has indeed lost his position as second in authority there to the king. And now Eliakim does have the position and Shebna's under him. Um, so you already are seeing that being fulfilled in the book of Isaiah. Uh, we don't have all the details given in the Bible, but we have some of them. And then there are some historical evidences that the old rabbis had about Shebna maybe actually being a traitor to the Assyrians. Um, and so that's why they, they think that maybe verse 25 is actually referencing Shebna and his fall because Eliakim seems to be, you know, a good guy. And then all of a sudden say, but then he's going to fall is um, kind of a shock as well. But the way I presented it was, you know, Eliakim is a type of Christ, but the types of Christ are not perfect pictures. I mean, David was Christ, and yet David fell into wicked sin, you know? And so none of the types have to be perfect pictures. They just give us um, certain aspects of Christ to further understand. Yeah, and uh, Nasir, welcome Nasir. What's up? Are you speaking? You'll need to unmute. Uh, well, Mark, Nasir's question, he put it in chat, I think. Uh, Leviticus 11, 7 and 8 says not to eat pork. Yeah, so um, when I read the uh, laws of the Old Testament, Sorry, my wife's talking to me while I'm driving and talking in clubhouse at the same time. Um, hello, Mrs. When Mark. I, what's that? I said hello, Mrs. Mark. Yeah. Oh, Nate said hello to you. I got the earphones on, so she's not. She doesn't want to listen. <laughs> she okay. Has to hear so enough of you already, probably. <laughs> right. She she said she said you're doing too much talking, but it's because nobody else is talking. Chris is working on tile. Which is no excuse, um, yeah, so, Chris. No, sorry, no. Go ahead. Let, let's let's make this clear. Chris is paying somebody to work on tile. Chris does not work on tile. 
Oh. Not because I'm too good for it, but because I suck at it. Well, Chris, you always have a good answer about the dietary laws, so why don't you go ahead and do that? I mean, sure, like the, the dietary laws were there specifically to carve out his people Israel, right? So he wanted to make for himself a peculiar nation um, so that the line of the Messiah could come from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so the dietary laws, the laws about fabrics, all of the other laws were to set them apart, make them what we call holy. And so like my morning reading this morning, Pastor Mark, was uh, Leviticus 21. So it's always good fun. Um, <laughs> no, like Leviticus 21 is a good one. Um, but, uh, you know, it's talking about like, you know, what makes the priesthood holy. So like you've got the, the people of God set apart from the rest of the nations by these basic dietary laws and some of these things. And then you've got the Levitical priesthood even called out from the nation itself. So they're even set apart from there. And, uh, and so that's what Leviticus is about. And it's super fascinating. I wish Abba were here. Um, he was, is he still? Um, oh no, I guess he's gone. He was down there. Anyway, but yeah, I, I got questions on Leviticus 21, so I'm not saving for when I see rabbi next time, but, um, yeah, but there, there's some really good, really good stuff there. It basically is separating God's people out. Now in Acts chapter 10, we have the sunsetting of the Levitic, I'm sorry, of the dietary laws and the ceremonial law. So, um, oh, Nasir, about, Nasir's, uh, oh, go ahead. I was saying he's, I guess he's not speaking. He's responding in chat though. So he says, you don't believe in the old Testament. No, we do believe in the Old Testament. So the point is, if you're not an Israelite, these are not your laws. We're Gentiles grafted into the vine. So these laws were, like Chris said, specifically to set apart Israelites. We totally believe in the Old Testament. And if we were Israelites back in that time, we absolutely would have not eaten pork um, or we would have thought we were sinning. So the fact mm -hmm. that we are Gentiles um, and we see the progression of the law, and now it says, you know, you have the law of the heart, uh, a law of the spirit is on your heart. Um, we follow that, not the law of sin and death, i.e. the law of Moses. So that's why we, we can eat pork. By the way, I don't eat pork, but um, if you want to, you can. It's not a spiritual thing. It's a you know, fat-ridden cholesterol thing for yeah. me. But, yeah, so we believe – so we, we totally vegan. believe the Old Testament. We believe it so much, Demon Chris. We believe the Old Testament so much that we follow it the way it was meant to be followed. So we are not Israelites, so this is not our law. Uh, go ahead, Chris. I was just going to say – Pay Except for the pagan part. The in eh, eh? Just saying. <laughs> anyway. Um, no, Nasir, does that answer your question? So the reason that Christians don't follow the uh, Levitical uh, law, well, specifically the the Deuteronomic law. De 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 I can never say that word. Help me out, Pastor. De De Deuteronomic. De ah, I want the, the law from Deuteronomy. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, so um, a lot of the laws that he gave the Jewish people, all the laws were because he loved them and he cared about them. And the dietary laws were really essential back then for their physical well-being. They didn't have a lot of the, uh, obviously, the refrigeration that we have and things like that. And so 
uh, there'd be a lot of danger in eating a lot of the things that God told them not to eat. There's an old book that is still really good on this. It's called None of These Diseases. And it goes through and shows how that um, so many of those dietary laws were to keep the people from having certain diseases that especially would be prevalent in those days with the uh, setup that they had, no electricity and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so personally, I believe that because God's unchanging, I believe the moral laws of the Old Testament are still important for us. And they show us first our need of a savior. And then after we receive Christ as savior, then the law helps us to know you know, what things are pleasing to God. And so especially the moral laws, I think there were civil laws. Like I don't think that uh, a disobedient teenager needs to be stoned and killed. Uh, I think that was one of their civil laws for how their government ran. And so we don't follow all the civil laws. And then the dietary laws and the sacrificial laws, you know, how to sacrifice the, the turtle doves and all that. Those were things that they needed for their society. Um, I think that's a helpful distinction for me is there's moral laws and those are eternally true. Thou shalt not murder, uh, don't commit adultery. Okay, those are hold today. There were dietary laws, which were especially, as Chris said, to set them apart for special use. And then there were the um, ceremonial laws that had to do with um, their Old Testament worship, which was to figure, prefigure the Messiah that would come. And I, I know there's, I know we're, we're probably going to disagree a little bit. And that's, that's okay. It's a different way of doing the same thing. But I mean, I would say like, you know, as far as like, you know, I know you, you just said, and I think Chris says, you know, you don't follow the dietary laws, you know, et cetera, but you follow the moral laws. Well, I, I, I mean, I believe we follow the moral laws just because there's overlap. Like, you know, we, we don't follow the moral law just because it's the moral law, like, it, it, you know, the fact that we don't murder and we don't lie and we don't commit adultery isn't because it's in the 613 laws of Moses. That's because that's in the law of our, you know, the law of the spirit that's imprinted on our hearts. And I would say, you know, that's why even like most actual pagans, Chris, uh, instinctively know, like, you know, lying, cheating, stealing, murder, these things are, these things are wrong because, you know, this, I mean, this is imprinted on you from your creator. Like it's, it's imprinted as your moral compass. Um, so, I mean, it's fine. It's not a, not a big thing, but that's kind of how I see it is, you know, I, I don't murder. I, the reason I don't murder isn't because the Levitical law says don't murder. It's because it's the law of the spirit that's imprinted on my heart that I legitimately don't mur don't want to murder because of that. Um, not because, you know, the Israelite law says not to murder. Um, but I mean, both results lead to not murdering. So, you know, just that's my sense if anyone cared. Yeah, when you consider... That, that that's good and I wouldn't disagree with that but when you consider that God reveals himself and his character in the Bible and he's unchanging and of course a lot of those moral laws are repeated in the New Testament but you know the New Testament itself is full of do this and don't do this well why yeah. is that I mean if we have the law written in our hearts then why do we need the commands well <laughs> We need the commands because sometimes our hearts are not in tune with, like they ought to be, with what the Lord wants us to do, or we get 
little um, rebellious heart. And also our, we still have the flesh. The spirit lusteth against the flesh and we cannot do the things that we would, Galatians 5.17. So, you know, it's good. The commandments are first good to show us our need of a savior, but then they show us how we can ought to walk and please God after we're saved. And I think, you know, there's value in that, um, knowing that Colossians 1.10 says that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Okay, now we can please God. And, okay, well, it's written in my heart, but, but how do I know those things written in my heart? Or how do I know the details? How do I know my heart's not leading me astray? Well, the Word of God is our solid foundation. So um, I oh, guess I, I'd balance it with that. Well, yeah, I, well, I mean, I, I would say... I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't balance it. I'd say that that's the standard. Like, I totally agree with you. Um, but, you know, like when, when Paul says, you know, fornicators, idolaters, murderers, sorcerers, you know, these people will, will all have their part in the lake of fire. Um, then the fact that, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying we're lawless. I know you know I'm not saying that. But for everyone else, I'm not saying we're lawless. And we just say, oh, it's written in my heart that I'm going to, you know, go get drunk and gamble away my kid's future and do all these bad things today because my, my heart says so. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying, you know, conform to the life of Christ and to the word of God. So, you know, Jesus gives plenty of commands. Uh, you know, Paul says plenty of things that, you know, he says, now this is not from me, but this is a command from the Lord. Um, so absolutely, it doesn't mean we don't, we discount instruction and we don't take the Bible. We absolutely do. Um, you know, my, my thing is specifically the Israelite law. So, you know, the fact that, you know, it also says fornication, um, you know, all this stuff is a sin. And then Paul and, you know, reiterates it in the New Testament that it's a sin. Well, yes, listen to it. Don't do this. So, you know, that, that's a good guide mark, right? So, like, when you say you balance, let's say, well, yes, it should be written on your heart. Don't do these things. It's bad. It's contrary to God. But, hey, if you need a reminder, it's also in the Word of God. Um, I, I'm, I'm just making, like, kind of like an on-paper distinction that, you know, if there's, like, a Venn diagram between the Levitical law and, uh, you know, don't fornicate, uh, as Paul talks about in the New Testament um, or something like that, and our heart, well, well, yes, all three things should line up. But the reason, you know, the re it's like Romans 14, like that would be like a bad way to to take a verse out of context where it says, look, anything you do from faith, uh, congratulations. But if every, if something you do is not from faith, then it's sin because you're violating your own conscience. Oh, well, OK, I guess I can have three wives today because, you know, my heart feels good about it. No, no, no. Um, you, you, you know, you take the totality of Scripture, you take the whole counsel of God. So that means you, you read in the Bible. Um, where it, where it would very much talk against uh, what you're saying your heart is telling you what you have peace about. Um, so not to use that as a cop-out. So if the, like, this is, like, I see this as something where the Bible is silent. Like, you know, if you, if you feel right about taking a certain job or developing AI that could cause the world to end or something like that, it's like, well, how does your heart feel about that? You know, do you, do you feel convicted? Do you feel like this is, you're doing this for faith? You're doing this for the work of God? Like, this is fine when there's no inherent sin attached to it. Um, in that case, then yes, if you're doing this through faith, but work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So if you have doubts about, you know, doing doing this job or doing this AI, something the Bible doesn't directly speak against because there's no way to know, um, then then fine. That's what I believe Romans 14 is for. Um, but if if the Bible clearly says, you know, murderers and idolaters are going to have your part in the lake of fire, and you say, no, no, I have faith that, uh, you know, I can be in a murderer and idolater and uh, be be cool with Christ. Well, well, no, that's that's contradicting the scripture. And, you know, God's not a God of contradiction. Uh, he's the same yesterday, today and forever. So all things considered, if your heart is telling you can do something the Bible outright says you cannot, um, you are wrong. The Bible is right. Um, if, if the Bible is not speaking to something, 
then, you know, that's the time for Romans 14. Um, that's what I meant by that. So I'm not saying be lawless yeah. at all. Yeah, and that's really good. Um, I think the things that, like you said, are obvious, obviously against the Bible, and then there are the things that, as you said, the Bible doesn't really speak to, like should I take this job or not? But I think what what I'm thinking about now is the stuff that's kind of in between there, like the people who would say, well, you know, the law is written in my heart and, and my heart doesn't bother me to go to uh, Vegas and gamble away my kids' inheritance or whatever. Or, or you know, the law is written in my heart and, and my heart doesn't bother me to, um, you know, smoke cigarettes or whatever, even though the Bible says don't defile your body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't really bother my spirit. So, and, and so that's where I'm saying, you know, the act, the exact um, words that God gives us need to be studied and the principles uh, discovered and, and properly applied. Obviously, the Bible's not going to speak directly about everything. Uh, famous example about the cigarettes is, you know, if the Bible had said, thou shalt not smoke camels, people, you can see people in Bible days, get that camel away from the campfire. What are you doing? You know, <laughs> so obviously the Bible is full of principles that we can apply to uh, know how we can walk and please God after we're saved. Absolutely. And, and I mean, you know, there's only, you can lead a horse to drink or a horse to water, but can't make him drink. Right. So, um, the Bible, I mean, the Bible has everything you need and it's unambiguous. Um, it's only the hearts of men that will twist it. And there's only so much, so many safeguards you can put to try to help people not twist scripture. But if they want to, they're going to. And it's not that the Bible is confusing. It's not that the Bible is unclear. It's that the hearts of men is, like the Bible says, apart from Christ, deceitful and wicked above all else. Who can know it? Um, question mark. Rhetorical. No one can know it. Um, but if you're in Christ, you still have your flesh that you contend with. So it's not a problem with the Bible. Um, like you said, the camels or it's like, well, you know, the Bible says the law is written in my heart. So what that really means, it's like, OK, clearly this is like like is it Jesus has talked about. You're, you know, you're focusing on maybe it wasn't Jesus, but you're focusing so much on the, the letter of the law that you're missing the spirit of the law. So it's like if the Bible says, well, it's written in my heart. and My heart feels this. No, no, you're focusing on the letter. You're missing the whole spirit. And at that point, it's like, well, look, this isn't a problem with explanations. This is a problem with your heart um, that, you know, you I think you're intentionally trying to get by with this. Um, it's it's a heart issue, not a, a Bible explanation issue. Um, so I, I think that's where I would, I don't know, either either leave it or give them to you. Because um, <laughs> it's like, yeah, if you're trying to, and you know, the whole, was it Timothy that works out your salvation with fear and trembling? It's like, look, if you, if you say you feel good about, I don't know, your example, smoking cigarettes, for example, which I don't think is going to put someone in hell, by the way. But if you feel good, like at peace, like God's happy with you for smoking cigarettes, if you honestly believe that, then, I mean, I, I would question your, your sincerity all day long. Or if you just really want to smoke cigarettes, that's why you're saying that. Um, or if you're like brainwashing yourself. Um, but, I mean, if you work your salvation out with fear and trembling, then it's like you're just not going to smoke cigarettes because that's one additive thing that, I mean, apart from it, like there, there's no benefit to smoking. So, I mean, it, it's like the only thing you're doing is adding something that's questionable to, to you, maybe whatever. You're adding something that could create questions where if you don't do it at all, then there's no questions. So if you if you just do something on its face, it's like, well, this is adding questions. It could be good. It could be bad. I mean, it's not good, but it could be good. It could be bad um, versus not doing it at all. 
Well, now there's no question of good or bad because you're not doing it. You're completely abstaining. So if you're working your salvation out with fear and trembling, the secular way of saying that is erring on the side of caution. So if you're erring on the side of caution, that's going to eliminate all of your sincere inquiries about, uh, you know, can I do this and be cool with God? Can I do this and be okay with God? It's like, well, I don't need to worry about can I do this and be okay with God. I just need to say, I'm not even going to go down this road. And now I'm going to be okay with God. Um, so I, I think just a sincerity of heart would be in play at that point. If they're like, well, my heart's telling me this. My heart's telling me this. Your heart is evil. Read the Bible. <laughs> yeah, can't go wrong by focusing more on the scripture and deriving truth from there. And after we've received Christ as Savior, to be able to find those principles and apply them to our lives to um, be a good testimony for Christ, to lay up our treasure in heaven, and to, as Colossians 1.10 says, walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. One of the great privileges of being born into God's family is now we can please Him. Before that, you know, even our righteousness is filthy rags. Uh, Romans 8, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But now that we're saved, we get to please God. You know, I've heard some Christians say, well, you know, nothing you could do before you were saved could please God. And it's the same now after you're saved. Nothing you can do can please God. It's like, no, now that I'm saved, one of the great privileges, I do get to please God. Uh, well, Mark, I, I have to run, but I'll let you have the last question. Uh, Nasir, or was it Nasir? Someone. Yeah, Nasir says, uh, so what is the difference between the God of the Old and New Testament? A couple of people, Desi and Chad, are answering the same yesterday, today, and forever. But um, since you're speaking, Mark, I appreciate your voice. Sure. So yeah, and then he says, Jesus is not mentioned in the Old Testament. So Nasir, thanks for coming in and giving us some good things to discuss today. Appreciate that. Uh, there's one God, so he is the God, and the New Testament and the Old Testament are both his inspired words that he gave for us to have, and the word, the word testament means covenant or agreement, so it's the same God, and it's the same way, to me, it's the same way of salvation. In the Old Testament, they weren't saved uh, from their sins and made right with God just by offering the sacrifices. Okay, the sacrifices were pointing to the Messiah that would come. And you mentioned that Jesus is not mentioned. Well, his name is not, but the word Messiah is our New Testament word Christ, means the anointed one. And they knew that this Messiah would come and I believe that there's only one way for a person to be safe from their sin and ready for heaven, and that is by trusting Christ as Savior. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Well, that would be true no matter when people lived. So in the Old Testament, they were saved or they were saved or born again by receiving the Messiah as their Savior, by trusting that Messiah that would come, that was prophesied to them. And if they put their trust in that coming Messiah, that he would uh, be the one that would shed his blood, wash away their sins, 
then they were saved the same way we are. They just look forward to him. We look back to him. But we're all saved. There's only one way to be saved. And uh, Hebrews makes it clear in the book of Hebrews, the blood of bulls and of goats could never take away sins. Um, that was just the picture God gave them. And I really believe Adam and Eve knew enough. In Genesis 3.15, God said that um, this seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head, but the serpent would bruise his heel. Now, did Adam and Eve understand all about the crucifixion and all that? No, but they knew that God had promised that there would be someone come that would crush the serpent's head, and if they would trust him, then they could have their sins washed away, and I think we'll see Adam and Eve in heaven someday. That was a very Presbyterian answer, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, I'd say it's not like we don't see, like, you know, Jesus by name, like J-E-S-U-S, -S, is not mentioned in the Old Testament. Um, but I think, you know, you, you definitely see Jesus, the eternal Jesus, in the New Testament, or in the Old Testament. Like, you know, the uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I think I'm messing up one of their names, right, Mark? But... I mean that's that's how we learned it when I was when I was young, but I think their name is their pronunciation is slightly different. But anyways, um, yeah, like we see that, and it says like you know who is this fourth person in the fire? Like we think there's different. I believe it's called Chris uh, Christophanes. Like you know where we we believe that you know Jesus is represented like here on Earth um, in a form in the Old Testament. So um, you know if you're looking for the name J E S U S in the Old Testament, you won't find it. But I think we definitely see instances where the eternal being of Jesus, um, you know, appears throughout the Old Testament in, in different places and different times. And, um, yeah, so I would, I would say that. Um, and I think if, you know, someone reads the stories of the Old Testament, um, you could probably see it, too. Um, you want to say anything about that real quick before I end, Mark? Uh, no, I agree with that. I think it's a little bit... Uh, deep maybe for some folks to understand the Christophanies or Theophanies. And then um, you know about the three houses that were thrown into the fiery furnace? My shack, your shack, and a bungalow. <laughs> uh, yeah, so on that note, <laughs> in this year, so I'd say yes, we definitely see Christ. Um, so just because, you know, he he uh, didn't show up in flesh and bone until, you know, he did like 2000 something years ago. Um, that doesn't mean that was the first time he existed. He always existed. It just so happens that's the first time, you know, he was given the name Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, literally means God with us. Um, so for the people who are like, where do you see the divinity of Jesus? Well, his name is called God with us. Um, anyways, so um, Everyone, thanks for being here. Uh, Pastor Mark, thanks for speaking. It's always always great when you're able to take the stage for a while. And uh, Well, thank you. I'm actually driving to from Florida to Virginia today, so got some time on the road, so it's been good. All right. Well, have a good, safe drive, and we'll... Eviana, yeah. I, I was just curious to pick Mark's brain a little bit, because usually you don't hear... From my understanding, I, I thought you were like, Baptistic. You come from a more Baptist background. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, generally, you don't. That's not what you hear um, about. You know, from I think Baptists about you know the saints being always saved. Um, 
you know, through through faith, that they would say that it's faith plus works rather than just faith in the promise, right? Because you had mentioned um, Genesis 3.15, and that was a remnant of the gospel that was given. Um, so I'm kind of curious to, to pick your brain on that a little bit more because I've never really heard um, a Baptist that believe that way. Well, just a real quick answer to that, since Nate's got to go, is that I think you're hearing some from fringe Baptists that we would call hyper-dispensationalist, where they think that because they see these different dispensations, that that also means people are saved in different ways. And um, to me, that's hyper-dispensationalism that I would be against. Even like on the reform side, you're against hyper-Calvinism. So we're against hyper-dispensationalism. That uh, answer all of your questions, Aviana? Yes, thank you. <laughs> all right, well, thank you all. And we will, I guess, see you hopefully tomorrow. Take care, everyone.